Good evening. Our first song will be To Canaan's land I'm on my way Where the soul never dies My darkest night will turn to day Where the soul never dies No sad farewells No tear-dim nights Where all is love And the soul never dies A rose is blooming there for me Where the soul never dies And I will spend eternity Where the soul never dies No sad farewells No tear-dim dies Where all is love And the soul never dies I'm on my way to that fair land where the soul never dies Where there will be no parting hand And the soul never dies No sad farewells No tear-dim nights Where Scripture reading tonight will come from Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, and I'll be reading from the ESV version. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Before our opening prayer, we'll sing 368, 368. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily. surrender all all 
to Jesus I surrender Humbly at his feet I bow Worldly pleasures all forsaken Take me Jesus, take me now I surrender Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for another day that we can come together to worship you, to sing praises to you. We pray, Lord, that the lesson we learn tonight will take with us as we go throughout the rest of our week. And we pray, Lord, that we remember you and are thankful for everything you've given us throughout this life. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to mark your songbook, song of invitation would be 309. 309. And once you have 309 marked, before our sermon, we'll sing number 50, number 50. If it's convenient, you wouldn't mind, if you would, please stand. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
I have already come. This grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we Shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Please be seated. I always love that song, Amazing Grace. We are doing a lesson series on Sunday nights called Rethinking Grace, and I hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, I want to encourage you and challenge you to submit any questions or comments or thoughts to help us to share and, and encourage each other to think about grace and what a wonderful gift it is. It is truly amazing. In Ephesians 2, we've used this as a kind of a theme for our our topic of grace, but it says you have been, by grace you have been saved. We understand that grace is truly a gift, not something we can earn or we can work for. If we earn it or work for it, then it's not a gift. It's basically a wage that we somehow have um, worked hard to labor for and receive. So Ephesians 2 verses 5 and 9 both uh, remind us that it is a gift. It's amazing now, I want us to think about this wonderful gift of grace. Um, maybe in your lifetime, I hope you haven't, but I've known people who have had severe cases of food poisoning, and we all understand that certain foods, uh, they can go bad. Um, uh, it can have devastating effects in your life. I remember when I was working in the corporate world, we had a, a men's training group. Uh, actually, it was a management training group up in a a resort somewhere, and they came back, and about a third of the group got deathly ill and had food poisoning and had to go to the doctor. Some of them were in the hospital for a day or two, and I thought, whew, I'm glad. Whatever they ate, I'm glad I didn't eat that. But things like, for example, potato salad, oysters, seafood, mayo, eggs, milk, cheese, tart, all those can go bad and, and really, really uh, make you sick. So good things can go bad. Um, I'm a Gary Larson fan. I don't know if any of you enjoy the cartoon Gary Larson, but I thought this was kind of cute. He opens up the refrigerator, and the bowl of potato salad's got a gun. So that's what happens when potato salad goes bad. So sorry, I just had to put that in there. Um, So can good things go bad? Yeah, they can. Uh, They can't go bad. They They can have terrible effects. So here's my question about grace tonight. Can grace go bad? Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder, well, wait a minute now. There's something God created, right? Grace is a good thing. It's a gift from God. But can grace go bad? Even when it's something good, the Lord has created. So I'm going to split this up into two lessons. So this is can, can grace go bad, lesson one. 
And, uh, and so I want you to think about that. Kind of mull that around in your head. God, it's a gift from God. It's a blessing from him. But can it go bad? Is there a time when grace maybe is not what God promised it would be? Or maybe it's something to do with the receiver of that gift of grace. And so I want to talk about that tonight in just a moment. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to, to Romans chapter 5. We'll be looking at Romans 5 mainly tonight and a little bit of 6. So in my next slide, as I ask that rhetorical question, I'm just saying that, you know, grace, it is a gift, and I think we would all agree. Grace is bestowed upon us. It's a free gift from God. We know that it was ushered to us, delivered through the life of Jesus Christ, the perfect son, the sacrifice. He shed his blood on the cross. And for those of us that have reached a level of maturity where we relish in the fact that it's been bestowed upon us and we deserve um, not the gift of grace but receive it because God loves us, it is wonderful. Uh, When we're faced to confront our own sinfulness and we wonder, what can I do to fix that sinfulness in my life? Uh, There's really nothing other than the gift that God offers us, and it's glorious, humbling. It creates joy in our hearts. We can sing songs like Amazing Grace and really mean it when we sing it. You know, how wonderful is that, that when I fall short, even though I may do my best, when I fall short, grace is still there for me. And so I wanted to shift to, and apologize for this, I, I tried to come up with some sort of graphic representation of a of a continuum of grace, a line, if you will. Think of it, the gentleman on on your left there, he's laying in a hospital bed about to pass away, and the minister comes to visit him. Let's call him Joe. Joe, I I know this is probably a difficult time as as you're nearing death, and, you know, what can I do to help? Can I pray for you? Well, preacher, I I just don't know. You know, and most ministers have heard this before, right? I just... I've not done enough. I just don't think I'm saved. I, I just, I'm, I'm not convinced I've worked hard enough to go to heaven. And so in your mind, what's wrong with that statement? All right? In your mind, what's wrong with that? You'll never work hard enough to earn heaven, right? You just won't. You can't. And so here's Joe laying in his bed bemoaning the fact that he's just going to die and he's just not sure if he's going to make it. You know, when I close my eyes for the last time, will those pearly gates be open for me and can I have any joy? I don't get the impression Joe laying on his deathbed worrying about having done enough to go to heaven has really led much of a happy life, right? It's just like, uh, you might even say he could be a, more on the legalist side. And then you got the playboy over here on the on the other side of the spectrum. He's he's the Christian who goes for goes for everything, you know, all the gusto. You know any of those playboy kind of Christians? They think they're saved, they think they're in God and and they're one of God's children, but he's living the life. I'm just happy. Everything I'm going for all the best there is and and God loves me and everything's good, right? And so there's your continuum. You got your uh, Living the high life, everything is great. Christian on one side, God's got it all covered. In the next slide, um, I, I mentioned that one is kind of the sad end of the continuum. 
It's a very sad place to be when it comes to grace. The other one is he's happy, we think. At least he appears to be happy. He's striving for all the material things and all the things that world determines to be successful. But yet he's still loved by God and and covered. He doesn't go to church often, not involved in any kind of serious uh, outreach efforts or what we would call church service uh, projects. But he's saved. So you've got two ends of the spectrum. The one on the, on the left, Joe, the sad one, in the next slide, he, say, he says things like, I've fallen short, and I'll never be good enough. And the playboy on the right is, you know, I'm covered no matter what I do. Grace is good, you know. I'm covered. I, I, can, I can say certain words, do certain things, be certain places, but if I fail, if I fall short, grace is covering me. And so, really, what I'm trying to portray here in this, this continuum are two kinds of, quote-unquote, Christians living a lifestyle where one is unsure of grace, the other is maybe abusing grace. One is grace poor, one is a grace abuser. So grace hasn't gone bad, it's God's gift, but yet it's maybe misunderstood by many. You've got some that think they can live whatever kind of lifestyle they want, like the playboy on the right, and he thinks he's going to heaven regardless of what he does. And the poor gentleman on the left who maybe has worked hard as a Christian all his life but never enjoyed the benefits of grace and the peace that it affords. So where should we as Christians try to fall? What is that healthy place in our understanding of grace? If you would, let's turn to Romans 5. We'll spend just a few minutes going over some passages in Romans 5. What I want to do is begin in verse 17. Paul introduces this concept of grace to the church at Rome. And what he does is he compares, he uses two people. He uses um, all of mankind is condemned, and that's under Adam. And then he looks at those who accept God's remedy for man's sin, which is universal, by the way, under Adam. God's remedy is the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross, and that's his death. And so I want you to think about two two Adams. There's the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam is the one who caused death to all of mankind through universal sin, right? We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And for that reason, we need grace. We desperately are in need of of his cleansing power, which is offered through Jesus. And so the second Adam brings life, not death. And so that's kind of the context of Romans 5. We're going to begin here in 17 with that in mind. For if, Paul says, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, that's Adam, all right, Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So basically in verse 17, what Paul is saying to the church at Rome is, I want you to understand that uh, our universal identity with with Adam was sin. Sin is a, a plague Uh, It was introduced into the lives of all of us because we sinned and because of that sin that entered the world. 
Um, there will be death. Death reigned. What does it mean to reign? It means uh, that, that it's the supreme power that controls. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We can choose uh, death or we can choose life. We can choose Adam through whom sin came or we can choose Christ who brought us life. He continues in verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, he's he's referring specifically to the sin in the Garden of Eden, which led to our death. He says, So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. That one act of righteousness was when Jesus voluntarily took himself to the cross and gave his life for us. For as by the one man's disobedience... The many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, in verse 20, uh, one translation says, Now the law came to increase the trespass. That is the law of Moses, the law that was written on tablets of stone, right? The law that was written on those tablets of stone is often referred to as the first commandment or the law the first law or the law of Moses, the first covenant. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So what he's saying is that when grace was introduced, the grace was enough of a gift to cover that sin. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. So all of a sudden, what Paul is saying is, is these brethren, some of them are, are new Christians. They've never heard this concept of, of grace and, and what Jesus Christ affords us. They've obeyed the gospel, but they're still infants. He's saying, This grace that I'm presenting to you that comes through Jesus removes sin, it removes the condemnation under the old law, the law of Moses. So uh, I'm thinking in my mind, as the Roman brethren, the brothers and sisters there, are reading this passage. And they, they really digest it. They're saying, like, man, this is wonderful. Yay. This message of grace is wonderful. There is no more condemnation. We're now released. We're free. We're delivered from the consequences of sin because of the grace that he affords us. So I'm, I'm free. I'm free. When, whenever I sin, there is grace. It's got me covered for all future sin. Let's get about the business of enjoying life. And so uh, let's continue reading. I want to read down through the end of this chapter, uh, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. So some of those brethren, as they hear this message and they understand, okay, Adam, what did he do? He he caused death. He sinned in the garden. The consequences of sin... Uh, sort of were passed down to each generation. We know that we all died because of sin. 
The pain in childbirth was multiplied. Man had to toil the soil of the ground and sweat by the brow as he toiled the land. There would be the shedding of blood. Death was present. Decay. All of the things that happened because of sin. Now grace is, a, is here. And grace is sort of like the deliverer. He, 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 grace comes in and delivers me from all those consequences of sin. And so they may be exciting and rejoicing and saying, no matter what we do, we're covered. Grace is what takes care of us now. Grace rides in to save the day. So to prevent them from making an improper assumption that no matter how much I sin, no matter how bad I am, grace is there. Grace is that safety net. Grace saves me. He sort of qualifies it a little bit as we turn to chapter 6. And so Paul shifts to a concept in chapter 6, and this is kind of what we were talking about in chapter 5. The the grace presents itself and it rescues us from sin, but yet we have to be careful that we don't abuse grace. I like the fact that earlier we sang a song, I surrender all. Remember, I surrender all. We sing that because we say, I'm stepping up to receive this gift, but I acknowledge how much I need this gift. I promise not to abuse this gift, this gift of grace. You see, I surrender all. We also sang worldly pleasures all forsaken. And what Paul is saying in chapter 6, once they understood this contrast between Condemnation under the law, deliverance, and free gift of grace is that you have to enjoy the gift but not abuse the gift. And so he talks about being dead to sin, dead to sin. This is the hard part for me. And so continuing from chapter 5 as we go into Romans 6, verse 1, Paul sets up this uh, philosophical question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? that grace may abound? See, I've introduced this idea of of grace covering your sin. So let me think about this, the brethren say. No matter how much I sin, grace covers it. So the more sin, the more grace. This is good. So if I'm having a really bad day where there are a lot of sin, God just supplements that with more grace. More sin, more grace. This is all good. It's a wonderful gift. Paul says, No, no, no. (laughs) By no means. You can't just go out and do whatever you want to do and say, it's good. God's got me. His grace covers me, right? Remember the guy that's driving the convertible? Not that I have anything against convertibles. But the playboy that's out there saying, "I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. No matter what I do, God's got me covered. That's an abuse of grace. Because we all in Christ need to say, I can't save myself. It's only by grace that I'm saved, but yet I have to crucify, I have to put death to death, the fleshly man. God wants me to be sanctified, holy, pure. He wants me to be a servant in my mind and my heart. And so I can't just go out willy-nilly and and sin any way I want and say, God's got me covered. That's literally an abuse of grace. Grace. So Paul says, should we continue to sin that grace will grow and grow? By no means. Some translations say, God forbid. 
How can we, he asks rhetorically, who died to sin still live in it? When you stepped up and said, I want to be a child of God, I want to be a Christian, I want to obey the gospel, you're voluntarily laying down your life. And that's so important, church. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're joining him at the point of death. And that's really what the gospel is. The three points of of the gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection. I tell people that when they say, I want to become a Christian, the first thing they say is, I am willingly putting the old man of flesh to death. As a matter of fact, today... Let's have a funeral. I want to stand before these witnesses and say that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And as I follow him and I become his disciple, I put to death the old man of flesh. I'm joining him in the point of death. I'm joining him in death. We're baptized into his death. We say goodbye to the old and we welcome the new man. Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into what? Death. Death. What are we putting to death? The old man of flesh. So we were baptized into death. Verse 4, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So in other words, we're looking forward to a new resurrection The old man, the man of flesh, the party animal, if you will, has been put to death. You have voluntarily crucified the old man of flesh. We can't live any way we want and be covered by God's grace. That's an abuse of God's gift. God says, I want you to live like a crucified person. Surrender your will to me. Walk in the steps of Jesus. Live like Jesus, but enjoy the gift of grace. You see, the sad part, if you go back to that visual, the man that's lying in the hospital bed who spent all of his life serving the Lord thought he earned his salvation based on what he had done. The truth is, he was still a sinner. He still deserved to be condemned, but because of the grace and the gift that God had given him, he was God's child, but he didn't enjoy it. It didn't bring him the joy that he needed to have in his life, looking forward to his new home. And to me, that's the saddest part for the legalistic Christian who feels like they have to earn their salvation and don't appreciate the gift. We're dead to sin. In verses 6 and 7, Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. Notice here that there's a strong warning for the Christian who's just received this incredible gift of grace when they've been baptized into Christ and obeyed the gospel. So, you brethren, he says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I think of uh, Galatians 2.20 where it says, you've been crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, Paul says, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Do not present your members to sin, verse 13, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, here's the paradox, and I like to talk about paradox in the Bible. A paradox is when you make a statement, it seems contradictory, right? For example, Jesus says, do you want to be alive? Then you must die, right? You cannot be born again unless you first Give your life to him voluntarily. If you want to be great in my kingdom and have a great status, you must humble yourself and be a servant of all. That's a paradox. It doesn't seem to make sense on the surface. What Jesus is saying is, do you want to receive the free gift of grace? You can't earn it, but here's the condition under which I give this gift of grace. When you receive grace... For your salvation, then you must also crucify the old man of flesh. You put away that old lifestyle. You can't continue to do all those fleshly things that you did in your prior life. Because my children walk in the steps of Jesus. They're resurrected with him into a new life because they have put to death the old man of flesh. So, Tonight, what I want to do in the next few minutes is just kind of wind out uh, this first part of the sermon, um, part one, and I want to read verses 15 through through 23, and then we'll draw some conclusions, and then the lesson will be yours. But I hope you've enjoyed this idea of when grace goes bad, and you'll understand that grace really doesn't go bad. There's just abuses of grace. There's people who have taken advantage of grace and abused grace. That. We're going to look at our next Sunday night lesson on grace, when grace goes bad. It's when those who receive grace abuse that grace. All right, so let's read verse 15 where it talks about if you really want to be free and you want to have grace in your life, become a slave. Again, another paradox. A slave? You want me to become a slave voluntarily? Yes. What then, Paul asked, Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Sort of like going back to the beginning of of, uh, chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? If there's more sin, more grace? No, by no means, Paul says. 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey? So this idea is that we all are slaves in this life to someone. You're like, Brother Tom, I'm not a slave to anybody. Yes, you are. We're all slaves to something or someone. The one or the thing to whom you submit yourself, you become its slave. It can either be sin or it can be our master and savior, Jesus Christ. I want to be a slave to Jesus. I voluntarily give up my rights to him. If you present yourself uh, to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So we have to make a choice, brothers and sisters, who will be our master tonight. But thanks be to God, verse 17, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. See, here's the concept. God, I come to you not as someone who's righteous and pure, but I come to you as a sinner. I need your salvation. Please bestow upon me your grace. Offer me the grace that's afforded to me through the blood of Jesus. And having received that gift of grace, I now pledge to you to be your slave voluntarily. I will walk in the steps of Jesus. I will live a life of righteousness, yet accept that grace when I fall short knowing that is your gift. Verse 21, Paul says, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What was the benefit of living, leaving, uh, uh, living a sinful life? He said, What fruit was there from that lifestyle? For the end of those things is death, verse 21. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you go back to the graphic that I showed, that time, that line, continuum of Two different people, one on his deathbed, sad and sorrowful that he hadn't worked hard enough. The other one was a playboy who thought no matter what he did, God was going to save him. Where's the balance? The balance is when we acknowledge our sin. The balance is we in the middle are not sad, but we're joyful. We're not living the playboy lifestyle and doing anything we want, doing anything that makes us feel good and saying, no matter what I do, grace will cover me. But yet we're not in that hospital bed bemoaning the fact that we're not sure we've worked hard enough to earn God's salvation. Somewhere in the middle of that is a healthy, well-balanced, grace-filled Christian who struggles trying to crucify self. I do. (laughs) Each day I get up and the body says, I'm in control today. I'm like, no, you're not. (laughs) I'm going to submit to Jesus and walk in the steps of Jesus. So flesh, 
You're going to be constrained by the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to win. The flesh will not win. But what about the days where the flesh wins? Oh, those are the days that we say, Lord, I fell short. I'm sorry. I'm your child, but I just didn't uh, accomplish everything I wanted to do today, and I fell short. You see, so we can conclude that we strain and we struggle. We attempt to be pure and sinless through the death of the old sinful man. My dad used to say that even though that we crucified and put to death the old man, even this new person in Christ is tempted on occasions to go out and dig up the old man of flesh and say, let's go have fun again, right? We're tempted. We're tempted. When we fall short and we fail, and we will fall short and fail, the good news is there's grace. That makes sense? I'm committed to follow Jesus. I've crucified the old man of flesh. I want to walk in the steps of Jesus. I want to be led by the Spirit and not the flesh. But when I fall short, and I will, God says, I've got this. It's okay. You're my child. Brush yourself off. Appreciate the grace that I bestowed upon you. And let's go forward. It's a hard concept sometimes to truly understand grace and how it's balanced. We enjoy its presence but don't abuse its gift. And so in summary, grace is a wonderful gift, not a gift to be abused, not a gift to be taken for granted, just appreciated when we so often fall short. And so I think if we can go through our life and say, Lord, forgive me when I sin, forgive me when I fall short, please help me, Lord, not to sin on purpose, help me not to be involved in willful sin, and that's going to be our topic for part two of our Abuse of grace lesson. When is grace abused? When is grace no longer grace afforded to us? When is a gift no longer a gift offered? It's when we're involved in willful and continuous sin. And so I'll talk about that more next Sunday. It's a pretty serious subject when we're involved in willful sin. And so I want to uh, offer that to you as part number two of our lesson on grace. If you have uh, any reason to respond tonight as we sing this invitation song, we invite you. Um, We certainly are always willing to pray and ask God to help you in whatever struggles you have. Maybe someone here tonight, I don't know, I never know when I bring these invitations, maybe somebody's struggling with some kind of sin and needs to confess. Maybe somebody needs prayer, but we want to offer that invitation to you. I hope this has touched your heart in some way or maybe... Uh, enlightened you a little bit on the idea of grace, but it certainly is a fascinating study. Thank God for grace. It's amazing. Let's all stand and sing together. Are you grieving over joys departed? Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You have no other such a friend or brother. 
tell it to Jesus alone. Do the tears flow down your cheeks unbidden? Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. Have you sins that to man's eyes are hidden? Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You have no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. Do you fear the gathering clouds of sorrow? Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. Are you anxious what will be tomorrow? Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You have no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. If you need to be served the Lord's Supper, you can make your way back to the room number one straight back. And uh, closing, the song before our closing prayer will be number 716, 716. <clears throat> God is so good, God is so good, God is so good, he's so good to me. I love him so, I love him so. God, our Lord, our Creator, we are so humbled, Father, to acknowledge your power this evening, Father. Acknowledge, Lord, how you work in our lives. Acknowledge, Father, the plan that uh, you set in motion, Father, for us. And we're so thankful, Lord, that that plan of salvation, that Christ was willing to, to come to this earth, Father. We know, Lord, that uh, he could have uh, stayed with you in heaven. He did not have to, to come to this world, but uh, because of the love, Father, that he had for us, he chose to, to hang on that cross, Lord, and we're so grateful for that. And we know, Father, that through that, uh, we have uh, that grace, Father, that, that gift that you freely give to us. Lord, we pray that you'll help us every day, Father, to, to pick up our cross, Father, uh, that we, Father, will deny ourselves, Father, of our flesh, that you will help us, Father, to... Make those choices, Father, that are right, those choices that are good. 
Uh, we pray, Lord, that as we make those choices that others can, uh, can see you through us and that, Father, they will uh, want to know, Father, more about you. We pray, Lord, that you'll uh, use us, Father, as uh, instruments upon this earth, that we, Father, can uh, spread your word, share your word, Father, share that love. Uh, Father, we're so grateful for uh, all the blessings uh, that you provide to us daily. We're so thankful, Father, for a uh, building that we can meet in, Father, uh, that we can uh, control, Father, the, the temperature, Lord, to, to be comfortable. Uh, we Lord, know, Lord, that there are uh, many across this world, Father, who don't have that same uh, pleasure, Father, that same um, blessing that, that we have. And we just pray, Lord, that you'll help us to, to share what we have, uh, to, to be able to, uh, Father, to give you the glory for all that we have. Uh, Father, we're mindful of those across this world, Father, who are currently in war. We pray, Father, for each one of those uh, countries, Father, for all those involved. We pray, Lord, that it would uh, come to an end, Father, uh, that we can have peace, Lord, on this earth. But Father, we know that even in these times, Father, of conflict, that uh, your light will still shine, Father, that your glory will still be shown, that uh, we have opportunities, Lord, to, to spread your word. Uh, Father, we, uh, again, are so sorry for those times that we fail, that we allow, Father, temptation to, to get the better of us, Father, uh, to overcome uh, that flesh, Father, we just pray that you'll help us to realize, Father, that uh, no matter how many times, Father, that we give in, your, uh, and how great, Father, it seems sometimes our sin is, that, that your mercy that you give to us is, is far greater, uh, that you uh, will provide that grace for us, Lord, if we uh, just, just ask you, Lord. And uh, we, again, are so thankful for Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.